Jeff Switek and Bharat Chari, and this is High Tech Market Research, a podcast that we're bringing to you straight out of Austin, Texas. I'm happy to be with you uh, here today, folks. Um, so with that said, before we jump into it, what is this podcast all about? What is High Tech Market Research? Uh, and so really, it's more of an in-depth analysis based off of strategy, as well as financial performance for uh, popular tech companies. Uh, and we may even go off the beaten path in the future. I don't know, Baroth, but we'll see where it takes us. Uh, but the idea is to provide a deeper level of analysis that you don't typically hear um, within podcasts. We're also going to structure this with um, a website, uh, which will contain all our great content, uh, a deck kind of breaking down everything we talk about and the structure um, that we have within the podcast itself, as well as how we do our financial analysis uh, and breaking that out so you can see what we're looking at um, while we're developing the content to deliver on this podcast. Anything you'd want to add to that, Broth? All the points you made were really great ones. Uh, I'd just like to add that, yeah, when we were putting this together, uh, or if, even if we take a step back, like a couple of, a year or so ago, when we were both sort of working together during the, the MBA program, and we can talk a little bit about that later. Uh, I think something like this would have been something I would have liked to listen to on a regular basis. And so the idea about uh, the content that uh, we're going to be talking about here came out of all that experience and that uh, uh, just the research that we were doing at the time. So, uh, yeah, that's all I had to add. Absolutely. So who are we and why are we qualified um, to deliver a podcast on, on market research? Well, as Brat said, we're both uh, University of Texas MBA graduates. And we actually um, both graduated from the executive program. So I have a, a slew of technology experience starting when I graduated from college as an IT consultant at Manhattan Associates. I made my way over um, through a number of, of different operation jobs, but landed at Apple, um, where I worked for about four and a half years, uh, and I found my passion. My passion is product management. So this is a part of delivering a great product, right? It's a podcast and content associated with technology companies. So that's really what brings here today. Uh, to give you a little bit uh, of background on me, um, Early on, I, I fell in love with technology when I started playing World of Warcraft. But the funny part about it is, is I couldn't play World of Warcraft because my computer would always fail on me. It would always crash. And then my, um, my friends gave me the nickname High Tech Switek for my crashing computer um, on World of Warcraft, which I never could play because I didn't have the processing speed to play. Um, so here I am today uh, falling in love with other tech companies, and hopefully my computer won't be crashing while we get this pod. So do, do you still play World of Warcraft? <laughs> no, actually, I was awful at that too. Um, I had a character that probably got up to level 10 um, over the first uh, year that I played, and then um, fortunately for myself, I retired my character <laughs> shortly after creation. Quit while you were ahead, I guess. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, like Jeff was saying, we both sort of uh, worked with each other during the MBA program at McCombs uh, during the last couple of years. And my, just to talk about my background a little bit, I worked in product development and product management. And uh, I would say I'm a jack of all trades. You can fill in the rest. But I started out with uh, nanotechnologies where uh, I, I, I joined a company right out of school here in, in Austin. And it's still around, but it got acquired by Canon. And so then I sort of progressed... Uh, throughout my career from I, from IoT to analytics at IBM, which is where I work right now. So in my spare time, I like to do a lot of things, uh, specifically uh, I'm a tech enthusiast, and a proof of that is the fact that I still own the first iPhone model that was uh, released. And uh, yeah, just something that my six-year-old likes to claim is his right now. And I don't I don't fight with him. I, mean, I just let him, as long as he's not asking for an expensive Samsung or an, or an iPhone, which costs 800 or 1000 bucks, I'm fine with it. So uh, 
Dude, yeah. you got to protect that phone. Keep it for posterity. You know in like 20 years <laughs> it's going to be worth like a zillion dollars. Absolutely. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't break it by then, but we'll yeah. see. The drool on the phone isn't, isn't too <laughs> substantial, right? Yep. Oh, cool. Uh, so with that, what is our structure and what's the content that we're going to be providing for y'all? Um, our structure is going to be market. Um, so the size of the market, the market we're focusing in on for the podcast itself and for the company um, that we're in. So an example of that would be, Today, we're going to focus in on Snap, right? So what's the size of the advertising market? And we'll get into that piece. Then we're going to dive into a company overview, um, what the company does, how they see themselves, high level, who their users are, how they're performing, very high level. And then we'll deep dive a little bit into products um, and how their products are brought to market um, and, and what... Um, benefit they're providing to the users. Um, we'll dive into a type of user analysis. So for today, um, we'll talk about the users of Snapchat, both both from an advertiser as well as um, end user like me and you snapping to each other perspective. Then we'll d go into performance, and performance will break out um, the financial measures uh, across revenue, margin, cash flow, etc. Anything that we really find important from um, the perspective of what they've released uh, for their quarterly earnings. Uh, we'll follow that up with Porter's Five Forces. So we'll give you a, a high-level strategy type of view, but we'll deep dive on the specific topics within Porter's Five Forces that we find is relevant and really shaping um, Snapchats or Snaps uh, positioning within the field itself. And then uh, we'll close it off with our synopsis of would we invest and how would we grow? Um, so anything you want to add to that? Barack? Going back to what we were talking about earlier, the structure and the topics that we came up with is just based on the fact that what's out there right now, what are some of the podcasts and content in which certain pieces are missing. And so all this came out of that gap analysis that we had done with uh, uh, these, these other products out there. So uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, people getting a lot of value out of it. Absolutely. All right, so let's let's start it off and let's let's kick it off and let's talk about the market. So overall, we're focusing in on Snap today, right? This is our introductory series pod, if you will, um, where we're going to deep dive on social media. Um, so we're going to do a, a Snap and Snapchat type of uh, overview and deep dive. Then we're going to go into Twitter and then we're going to follow up with Facebook. And then we'll end with a kind of a summary comparison a podcast where we pull it all together and give our assessment of the overall industry. But for today, we're going to focus in on Snap and how they're doing and who they are. But before we get to Snap, uh, we have to talk about the market. So what market are they in and how um, are they positioned within the market itself? So when you think about social media in general, social media has a two-sided market. You've got your users and you've got your advertisers. So if you look at it from, well, how much are your advertisers willing to pay to actually put it on a platform, for instance? Well, then you can start sizing the market. So buyers of ads um, overall for advertising have been about $270 billion in 2018, and that's going to be growing to about $335 billion in 2020. Mobile is the key component, and relative to Snap, this is an important part because it's only mobile, right? And that um, is about a size of 
185 billion in 2018, growing to 245 billion in 2020. The U.S. comprises about 37 percent of that. Currently, China is about 23 percent. A key note here is if you pay attention to kind of like global regulations, you'll know that social media companies do not have the uh, ability to go into China today just due to government regulations and how highly regulated that environment is. But as time continues to pass, China's percentage of that total market continues to grow. Um, in 2018, we'll see that number uh, actually shift around a little bit. So the U.S. will go from 37% down to 35%. Um, and China will go up to 24% from 23%. So China continues to gain steam in, in that mix. Overall, to give you an idea of who actively owns the market, as you would expect, Facebook owns about 44% um, of the overall market mobile um, advertising market today. So that gives you an understanding of uh, a dollar size of the market. Anything you want to... No, I mean, uh, I was just thinking back to the trip that we made uh, to China. Uh, was it earlier this year? So when we were there, I mean, we saw people on their phones all the time. And I think uh, that's kind of, at least for me, it took me by a surprise a little bit. I mean, there's been a huge uh, growth in terms of the mobile market overall. But just in terms of the ease of access, ease of buying any sort of, any sort of product in China... It was actually much more pronounced than uh, I had anticipated, at least. So some of these numbers that, that you just mentioned, I think it can, I, I can see the, uh, the correlation of this with what we had actually observed when we were in China. So uh, most of the growth is probably going to be coming from uh, uh, overseas markets. And uh, I know you're going to be talking about that in a little bit more detail further on. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, too. And, and just to add on to that, it's. Um, you know, WeChat was was just huge over there, exactly. and yeah. everyone was using WeChat for mobile payment. Yes, in uh, some places, like uh, I believe it, it was uh, Lucky was the name of a coffee shop over there, and it was actually competing head to head with Starbucks. Would only take WeChat, WeChat. Pay; uh -huh. they would not take cash. Uh, so yeah, to that to that effect, you are spot on relative to that increase. You see it in the behavior. Uh, well, we were in Beijing, and there were what, 27 million people there, all on WeChat, using yeah, mobile payments. That was amazing. It's pretty crazy. All right, so with that, um, let, let's dive into an overview of Snap, and Barat, I'll let you take it away. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so Snap has been around for uh, a couple of years, I would say, and uh, it was started by Evan Spiegel and his uh, co-founder, Bobby Murphy. And one thing I found interesting after uh, we did the research on them is the fact that uh, the co-owners hold uh, most, if not all, of the voting power. And what does this mean? So what this means is anytime there's a stockholder uh, meeting, uh, basically it's it's these two guys along with some of their executive team, and that's pretty much it. So there's no outside questions or public questions that are typically raised. And uh, just to give everyone a sort of an idea, the last uh, annual meeting that was held on August 2nd lasted 2 minutes and 46 seconds. And so that just goes to goes to speak to the fact uh, about how these co-founders, ever since they started the company, they've been very smart in, in a lot of ways to hold on to most of the voting power. And so that uh, reduces a lot of the uh, uh, stockholder activism that we have, we have talked about in MBA school and, uh, and so on. So that's the way uh, the company's executive team is set up. And as far as how we view them, I mean, before I did a lot of research on Snap and, uh, and understood what the business model is, the way I view them and probably most people view them is as a social networking company such as uh, Facebook or Twitter. But the way that they see themselves is, is uh, pretty different. And uh, you're, you're going to be talking a little bit about the chef. And 
that was pretty interesting to me. So to give everyone sort of an idea about what uh, their IPO price was, that was approximately $17 a share. And so as of uh, August 23rd, their stock price is $11.43. And so uh, to me, that sort of tells me that about the fact that they might have overvalued their company to begin with. They make the revenue primarily through advertising that you just pointed out. And the, fa the fact that uh, they've had some challenges recently doesn't bode well about uh, their user base and we have some numbers to sort of back this up. But uh, what I'm talking about here is really the major redesign of the Snapchat application that was made in, uh, in December 2017 and that rolled out more broadly in 2018 and that has some direct repercussions on their revenue numbers and their user base that they reported for Q2. And so in general, they've had some pretty negative coverage in the press and uh, both from their users. That's just a snapshot of the company. Yeah, they're definitely getting beat up a, a little bit. Um, the other key component to call out here is that um, they're a self-proclaimed camera company. So they don't see themselves as a social media company, but rather a camera company, which is an interesting definition. And you see this kind of taking play, um, which is a nice segue in some of their products and, and into their design. Um, so from a product perspective, those of you familiar, um, you know, I, I won't belabor this point, but as soon as you open the Snap app, you're in the camera. Um, so the, the thought is that um, you're allowed to share. And, you know, Bharat, and I, I found this really interesting. Um, I sent you this article about, you know, how Snap, or you may have sent me this article, actually, but um, we've been switching so many of them recently. But um, how Snap sees themselves as, like, this pure social media company mm -hmm. and how they're trying to protect this purity and this intimacy. And, yes. and the, so Evan's trying to create this culture where they're sharing ideas um, and that it's in this very safe forum. And then he wants to translate that culture over to the products. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you see that? taking shape in their products and just their culture in general. Yeah, I remember that, that article we were communicating about. So I think in, in general, Snap has been pretty secretive, I would say, both in their corporate culture and in how they communicate performance numbers, their user numbers. So I think that's, that's beginning to change. So based on what some of the news, recent news articles say, Snap is they're going, through, they're going through an exercise where they're trying to encourage that communication within the organization. They're trying to open up the lines of communication to the executive team because Earlier, it used to be the fact that, uh, based on what the founder said, that's the way the company goes. But now there's more of that conversation. And so the way I see it playing out in the products is, and it used to be that way too, like in terms of how you could communicate with your friends, message them and so on. Their uh, products have gone through a metamorphosis as well. And, and it's opened it up uh, to like these content creators, for example, who create content and whom you can find on the, app, on the application. So it's gone from that phase where you could communicate with your friends, message your friends to more of like this open platform with which you can find content, you can uh, create your own filters and such. Yeah, it's really interesting to, to take a, a look back at kind of the history of Snap going back from its early designs and how it evolved over time. And, you know, it, it started gaining a lot of steam and, and, and we'll talk about this in performance, but for the first time, it's, it saw a slip in its total user base. I believe it was down about 2% from 191 million daily active users down to 188. Um, but along the way, they've always been delivering this innovative technology that Facebook has fast followed, and rightfully so, right? Uh, because it's, it's such great technology. But the kind of the way it breaks, for those of you who haven't used Snap before, you get a camera lens, 
or when you log into the app, you see the camera on a camera lens, and then you're able to use filters that are, it's really innovative functionality that allow augmented reality on, on faces. So if you want to send um, your friends like a, a, a silly snap of, of your face along with seven hot dogs dancing, like I sent Plus to you, experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for, for all, like you, you'll, you can do that. Um, so it, it allows for that like personal um, uh, direct messaging um, between all your friends and, and just a chat, basic chat function as well. Uh, but along with that, the most innovative thing that they've delivered has been stories. And the stories and the ability to share it with all of your friends and disappearing messages. And then Instagram fast followed in that capacity um, and then really hit it out of the park relative to the platform that, that they're running out of it or they're running um, right now. And we'll save that for more of, of the Facebook analysis. Uh, but with that piece, you also have discovery. So now not only do you discover your friends' stories, but also other interesting famous people that would potentially be out there. You have the ability um, to save these snaps and memories. Um, but outside of the Snap platform, which also includes like geo-based location tracking, which also is pretty sweet, um, which Facebook and Instagram do not do, uh, which I believe is definitely an advantage. Like you can pull up a map and see where mm-hmm. each of your friends are, which is really cool. Um, but taking a step outside of that platform, you also have hardware offerings like Spectacles. Um, so that's that's uh, a really interesting play for them. They came out with Spectacles about a year ago. They have been doing incremental iterations on it uh, for waterproofing of the glasses themselves. Um, but it then ties to their Snapchat platform where you can record a video on your Spectacles and then tie it in uh, to the platform itself. Uh, so it's a nice little integration point there, which is is pretty cool. But uh, getting to my larger point, when you see it overall, this is really, and you mentioned this earlier, this is really the first mishap that we've seen relative to the redesign. And based off of some of the articles we read, Evan actually had data saying that users would not like his yes. redesign, mm-hmm. and he still went ahead. So from a product perspective, you, you almost wonder, is Snap losing some of its mojo relative to innovation? And are they going to be able to kind of resurrect um, some of those ghosts, if you will, from the past and, and re-innovate themselves? What do you think? No, I mean, I think innovation is, is great. And, and to your point, they, they have had a strong history of innovating. So even, for example, in Q2, they came out with this group video chat, which uh, other than Skype, uh, not a lot of other companies have. But uh, they, they also came out with the Lens Explorer, which allows users to discover and unlock lenses built by other users. And they also have something called Snappables, which are lenses for sharing your augmented reality uh, frames with your friends. And so there's, there's a lot of great things that they continue to keep innovating on. But uh, I think the fact that he did have data saying that uh, the redesign would be, to, to put it lightly, not be, uh, the market wouldn't be very receptive to it, and he still went ahead. To me, that tells me that at least in the past, they had an issue where it was more, of, more or less a one-man rule, where what the CEO said uh, and that's the way it, the company went. And I think it wasn't really based on market validation, getting feedback from the users and incorporating that into their design. And so innovation is great, but you do need to consider the end users in, in mind and you have to build that tight feedback loop uh, in any sort of product development uh, that you do. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back after this redesign and, and kind of iterate going forward because uh, yeah. th- with that reduction in users, which takes us into our next section here, um, from a user's perspective, um, is really going to be tied to their product design and getting people interested back in their platform. So overall, um, mentioned this before, uh, first time ever, big red flag from a performance and Wall Street perspective, right, that 
users for Snap have declined. So they went from 191 million globally in daily active users. And so for those of you who aren't familiar with daily active users, it's users that log into your platform daily. Um, and utilize it, um, uh, however, through you know using stories or discovery, what have you. But that log in daily, uh, 191 million went down to 188. So they're they're seeing some loss in interest and erosion of users about two percent. Um, additionally, when you look at their user base, and this is all public information, um, it was in their most recent 10Q, but 43% of their user base is North America, which makes sense because you would think that um, Snap would be really popular in highly dense areas, which it is um, in highly developed areas. Mm -hmm. um, so really, globally, um, you know, there, there are select areas that you are, are really going to start um, uh, marketing yourself towards uh, the U.S., obviously Western Europe as the other component, um, and then North America and, and the rest of the world with China being the big kind of, hey, we don't know how to enter this market yet based off of, of government regulations. Other key component here is that users generally log into the platform about 18 times and use it for an average of 30 minutes. So that's pretty good. I mean, you're getting a lot of visibility, especially when you're in there trying to position ads, whether they be through filters or through some of the discovery type of messaging. Um, but the decline in the user base, I think, is, is the biggest key here. So, I mean, one thing that, uh, I mean, not just Snap, but even companies like Facebook and Twitter, they sort of encounter are these, uh, these user bases or these users in these highly developed countries. Because those countries have a very good, infra I mean, cellular infrastructure through which you could transmit data, and so that that just to me, like all of these companies have the same exact uh, requirements as far as data transmission and so on. So when Snap, Snap's user numbers go down, but in comparison, the other companies, uh, like even for Facebook, I think their user base grew uh, in the last uh, Q2 uh, update that they provided. So the fact that their user bases are the only ones going down to me doesn't bode well com uh, compared to something like Facebook which everyone thinks is their market is sort of saturated, but obviously it's not because the users keep, still keep uh, going up. And I mean, if you talk about users specifically, right, to me, the users are obviously the end users, but do you kind of agree that these users are also the, uh, the content creators? I mean, is that something that you envision as part of uh, Snap's user base? It's an interesting question. So the 2% that left you, I think they're the content creators. I mean, possibly, but I... I doubt it, right? I, I think you're going to have your loyal contingents that um, are generally younger. Um, when you look at their, you know, the demographics of Snap, they're really hitting the 17 to 24 demo. Um, and that's where the majority of their base is as well. Um, so I, I don't think that, you know, from a content creation standpoint, they're losing a lot. You did hit on an interesting point is like, well, what's going on with Twitter and what's going on with Facebook, with Instagram? Um, and they are still showing growth. So it, it does it does show a red flag here, but it's not like those companies don't have their own slew sure. of problems sure. that we'll get into. But with this, this is really concerning because people go to Snap who are the early adopters, who are the young kids who don't want to be on old person Facebook legacy <laughs> platform. Or, I, I mean, now I think Instagram has really become the... Um, uh, the cooler platform in a lot of ways from a Facebook perspective is Instagram taking share from snap. Is that, is that what's really happening here to be determined? Um, and this is going to be something that we have to man or closely monitor going forward. So apart, we talked about the app redesign, which could have led to these drop of uh, users. 
But the other thing that could have led to this decline is the fact that they made some changes to their stories to uh, focus on the most interacted with profiles. And so it's not a it's not a real-time uh, interaction. Uh, so that's one of the things, one of the other things that they've done. Q3, their results for Q3 are going to be pretty interesting to see because if they continue the same trend, then uh, yeah, obviously it's not uh, it's not going in the right direction. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's switch gears and, and look at it from a, a more of a Wall Street perspective. Uh, and I'll, I'll start it off here, and I, I won't spend too much time quoting numbers, um, but I think it is key that that we do reference a few and, and give you an understanding of what's going on. So structure of performance, uh, we're going to give you individual takes on the income. Uh, the balance sheet and the statement of cash flows. And then we'll talk a little bit about um, ratios in comparison today to Twitter and Facebook. Um, so from a performance standpoint, let's start with the income statement. Uh, overall, I thought it was nice to see a 44% year-over-year growth to $262 million, um, in revenue. Um, so it, what, what kind of stood out to me about this number is like, yes, they grew year-over-year, but we expected them to grow year-over-year, right? Sure. I mean, they, they, they gained a huge war chest of capital um, when they IPO. So now they got to scale that revenue. So it's nice to see the 44% number, but it's not a surprise, right? Sure. Um, but what I thought was interesting is that it actually wasn't the highest quarterly revenue that we've seen so far from Snap. And that Q4 of FY17 was actually higher at $286 million. Oh, that's interesting. So, so from the last quarter to uh, Q2, the revenue has actually gone down. But year over year, it has sort of yes. turned it upward. Got yeah. it. And maybe it's just the seasonality of the business, right? Yep. Because, you know, your Christmas buying season, mm-hmm. and that totally makes sense. But as a younger company, right, you fit, you would hope to see that they would kind of beat expectations here and, and really scale up their revenue relatively quickly. So I think they still definitely have some work um, to do relative to how do you ramp revenue a little bit faster. Um, the other thing that kind of stood out to me was OPEX as a percentage of revenue. And so what I effectively did is I took your, our, the operating expense in the income statement and I divided it by their quarterly revenue. Um, and that turned out to be 237%. Um, <laughs> so obviously that means they're, they're running a negative, right? So they've, yeah. they've got a, a, nep- a negative operating income. And you all can check this out. Uh, all public information available on SNAP's website if you look at their investor relations tab. So OPEX makes up 237% of their revenue, which is down 37% year over year, but that's still a huge number to overcome. So profitability at some point is going to be a huge concern. They're not in Amazon mode where they can just reinvest. I think they're going to have to turn the corner here shortly on figuring out how to become more profitable fast. Um, and the, the reason why I say that is um, because you, you really have to start paying attention to where this, this huge oper, yeah. operating expense is coming from. And as anyone who looks at these type of, of statements before, it's you know cost of revenue, SG&A, and R&D. Um, that are really driving it. And they are bringing some of those costs down from a year-over-year perspective, um, like R&D. But when you bring down R&D costs, is that necessarily the right thing to do for the future growth of the business? Yep. Um, and are you pinching pennies in the wrong way? These are things that are going to have to, we're going to have to wait and see with Snap, but I, I find the income statement pretty interesting. No, just going back to that, uh, the point about R&D, I know that they laid off roughly like 7% of their workforce. And so they're losing those qualified people who've delivered on these innovative 
uh, features and products over the last couple of years, then I, then that doesn't obviously doesn't bode well for their future growth. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think if they continue to bleed cash, if they continue to lose a lot of skilled labor, uh, that's not going to allow them to ramp up when their uh, user base starts to grow up go up again. So yeah, I completely agree. So then moving on to then the balance sheet, biggest thing that I took away from it is. Um, short-term investments and cash position was down 39% year-over-year to $186 billion. So what does this tell you? It tells you that OPEX is eating into their cash reserves. Um, so they're only sitting on about $1.86 billion now, um, and that could be an, an issue going forward. Mind you, they don't have debt. They are completely debt-free, and we'll, when we get to Twitter, we can talk about their debt position because they do have some on their balance sheet. Snap does not, um, but with that, they're still burning cash at a pretty high rate. Uh, and so they're going to have to rein that in effectively and still produce innovative technology that grows their user base and doesn't negatively affect it. So cash becomes an issue here as well. Yeah, I think the, the debt is uh, something that I also observed. The fact that they have a debt to capital uh, ratio of uh, half a percent, that's well below the industry average of roughly 15 percent. And companies like Twitter and Facebook obviously have a lot more debt, like you just pointed out. So we've, you've seen the revenue growth, right? But the one other thing I think was interesting to read about was the fact that their gross margin is just 18%. So considering it's it's a fully software app-based company, they have no fixed or little fixed expenses to speak of. The fact that their cost of revenue or, or cost of sales is uh, pretty high tells me that uh, in terms of profitability, in terms of when investors could expect a positive cash flow uh, t- showing up in, uh, in Snap's finances, that's not going to be anytime soon considering that their gross margins are pretty low. And uh, the the other thing I observed was the fact that the cash flow from operations has decreased uh, by 7% year over year uh, in Q2. Long story short, this company isn't generating any sort of cash flows and it's clearly not self-funding. So, yeah, that's something they'll have to figure out quickly. Yeah, it's either make more money or raise more cash, right? Yeah. Um, so one of the two options. Um, and that kind of brings me to um, start talking about the ratios. Uh, so I went through a few of them. You mentioned um, gross margin, which I, I thought was pretty interesting. But um, price to sales was uh, kind of a, an interesting one as well. So it takes the current price of, of the share and then divides it by uh, total sales. And, and you'll see that snaps at a, a ratio of about 14.8, where Twitter's at about 9.4 and Facebook's at about 10.3. Uh, so Snap is definitely underperforming relative mm-hmm. to, to price per share. So from an investment perspective, it may show some, even that it's still overvalued yep. um, in, in a lot of ways um, from that perspective. Um, I, I, you know, great call out relative to gross margin. I was going there as well. What's interesting is when you compare that gross margin to Twitter and to Facebook, um, 67% for Twitter, wow. which is pretty great, uh-huh. and 85% for Facebook. That's amazing. Dude, Facebook is raking in the cash. Maybe that's their problem. Maybe they're raking in too much cash. Uh, <laughs> and we'll, we'll get to that in, in a few pods here. Um, but gross margin, I, I thought, was a fantastic call out uh, by you. The, the other piece is um, just if you want to see more of a ratio type of analysis relative to their declining cash, cash position, you can see that relative to the current ratio. Um, so the current ratio overall uh, for... Uh, for Snap is about 6.7, where for Twitter it's 11, and for Facebook it's 11.6. So again, you know their cash cash position is less than that of 
um, Twitter and Facebook relative to their own company. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know that's that's not a good sign either. Anything uh, else you want to call out from overall performance standpoint? To kind of summarize the points you, you and I just made, I think the fact that they're not as profitable as Twitter and not they don't have as big of a gross margin as their competitors tells me that uh, it, first of all, it's not going to be easy for them to scale up. And secondly, uh, it's going to put a lot more pressure on management and uh, the executive team to turn the company around if that uh, doesn't happen within the next quarter or so. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure from the outside. But to, to the point I, went, I made earlier, executive team controls all of the voting power. Unless something changes, that may not necessarily result in uh, any sort of turnover at the executive level. Yeah, completely agree with you. Um, the the other interesting component here that I think what that I just want to point out here relative to overall size as well is that um, Snap's at about thirteen billion, mm-hmm. where from an enterprise value standpoint, Twitter's at twenty two point five, and then Facebook's drum at, roll, <laughs> drum roll, yeah, <laughs> uh, Facebook's at uh, four hundred and fifty six billion dollars, um, so. You know, huge size disparity there and okay. potentially a declining, further declining position for, for Snap. Um, so with that, let's let's move on to Porter's Five Forces and talk strategy and uh, kick us off with this one. If you look at Snap from uh, the perspective of, of their competitors and the market that they are in, uh, obviously their competitors include companies like Facebook and Twitter. But if you look at uh, what Snap claims are their competitors in their 10K, they call out companies like Apple and Google, who uh, and Google is actually the provider of their infrastructure as far as uh, their Snap's uh, products are concerned. And so if we were to look at a rivalry among the existing firms, I would call that as, as maybe medium to high because of all these competitors with, with the deep pockets. I mean, do you, do you sort of agree? Yeah, definitely. And uh, if you just look at it from the perspective of uh, new entrants, logically, if there are companies like uh, Google and other sort of cloud providers, there are very low fixed costs involved. And so anyone can sort of build an app, scale up, start adding users without having to necessarily incur a lot of uh, fixed costs. So the threat of new entrants, I would call them, is pretty high. Yeah, I think the combination of those two factors is just the recipe for a hard go of things. You know, I mean, we just talked about the size of Facebook. And then, you know, you have Twitter, which is probably the second most famous social media company out there. And Twitter is not even 10% the size of Facebook. I mean, they're 5% the size of of Facebook from an enterprise value perspective. Mm -hmm. That just shows you that um, even though you can enter the market pretty easily, Facebook is probably already going to have a pulse on it and will buy you. Um, So just getting to snap size is something in itself, um, which it's highly competitive. It's very easy to enter, um, but actually succeeding in is very very difficult. Sure. Um, so maybe if you're if you're a bull on Snap here, you may see it as an opportunity, right? Like, mm-hmm. hey, they're they're the only one who can hold the actual users as the first priority um, relative to development. But we're gonna have to see that relative to um, product innovation in the future. Sure. And, and I feel like this is one area we're gonna get to. Uh, like, uh, what what sort of areas of growth do we see for the company? And I think in terms of these sort of well-established players already in this market, I feel like one of the areas Snap could grow in is maybe by looking at all these smaller companies who are trying to enter the space, maybe acquire some of those innovative companies that uh, that have a really good user base built up. But let's let's get to that later. Sure. If you look at the buying power of suppliers, by suppliers, I think of advertisers, 
uh, or content creators. And so by, uh, by the suppliers, I uh, looked at this metric where 11% of B2C marketers in North America use Snap. Whereas uh, if you look at uh, the percentage that, looked, that used Facebook, it's, it's about 97%. And 84% of those same marketers use Twitter. And so the way I see this is that their advertisers, who could be their users or, or suppliers, depending on how you want to look at it. But the fact that almost everyone who advertises on Snap, advertises on Facebook or Twitter, tells me that uh, they could lose their uh, advertiser base pretty easily if their user numbers start going down. And so that's what we saw in the last quarter. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting on how you want to categorize Porter's five forces here too, because it, because it's in a, a two-sided market, um, there are a number of different ways you, you can choose to categorize this. Um, so as Baroth mentioned, he was, he was taking power of suppliers as being the users. I took a different spin on that and said the suppliers were the ones who helped enable the technology on the background. So my, my view is, um, is a little bit different relative to, to suppliers being the data architecture in the background, which actually I think is medium um, based off of cloud um, and, and web services out there today. Um, so it, by the, the three major companies that you're seeing, Google, Amazon, and Microsoft, um, really it's, it's the three of them and, and Oracle as well that are playing in this space. Um, Snap is really dedicated and reliant on Google going forward because that's who they chose to use their um, their public cloud through. So in a lot of ways, I think you know changing that and diversifying that architecture would be very difficult. So it does give um, the supplier a little bit more power there, which would be medium. Relative to the buyer side um, and suppliers, in your instance, uh, you know I, I think that they do switch around uh, a little bit more, but. Um, you know, based off of what we're seeing, these companies just end up buying what's hot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, is there really a risk there? I, I'm not sure. I think it's more medium because if something is really hot, um, like, you know, um, Snap back in the day, it will IPO. Uh, but it's also rare, too, because Instagram was all the rave and then Facebook bought it for, you know, a billion, two billion dollars. Um, but the other side of buyers... Um, is the advertisers and the power of the advertisers to play around with it. Um, and with, with that, those buyers, you'll see that um, no advertiser makes up more than 10% of Facebook or Snap's revenue, uh, which is a key statistic here, right? So th- there's not one ad buyer out there that's really moving the needle and consolidating power. So that's an advantage for them. Um, so that's, that's probably on the lower side. Um, but switching then to uh, substitutes, Substitute-wise, I don't know. What do you think, Barat? I really don't think there are many. I mean, the way I look at substitutes is, so can someone rip off uh, Snap's features, which we've talked about already? Yeah. And so if I wanted to substitute from Snap's products with uh, Instagrams, for example, I could go, go about that easily. So I'm looking at it from that perspective of, can I switch out my Snap with either something that's not a social media app or something that's one of its competitors makes, and so the fact that they've never been able to enforce any sort of uh, IP limitations on, on Snap's patents tells me that substitution is relatively easy. And so for me, the threat of substitutes in that case becomes uh, yeah, medium to high, I would say. Yeah, and, and, you know, looking at it from that perspective, I think you're right. Um, because they're, if you look at all the outlets, not only can you copy functionality, but you could also go to TV, you can go to print, you can go to radio, you can go to a number of different areas to advertise. The, the value of social, though, is that you're able to target it more. Sure. Uh, and I think we'll get into that when we do more of a deep dive on 
advertising online in itself and what that encompasses relative to like search engine optimization or targeting ads and uh, what we're going to do a breakout of a pod for that in, in the future which will highlight some of those areas but you're right from a substitute perspective it is pretty high compliments wise what are you thinking about compliments yeah by compliment i can think of companies like uh, google because when i look at the operating systems for example which complement snaps apps so i can think of i mean ios i can think of uh, android and so these companies though i mean according to snapzone 10k they pose a pretty serious threat in in uh, in terms of their products that they could roll out it's not very feasible for these companies to do that when when for example uh, google hasn't had much success with that in the past in terms of google plus and so yeah the way i look at it is companies that complement snaps products it's sort of unlikely so i would put it as as maybe low to medium yeah, I, I, the question is, can they do it effectively? And I, I think you hit the nail on the head with, well, what would be a complement to Snap, Snap's platform? And it would be the uh, operating systems and the hardware that it's running on. So it would be iOS, it would be Android, um, and, and then how it's positioned. So is iMessage going to take away from Snap? I don't think so. Um, it's not... It's not Apple's bailiwick to make a social media company. Even though they've got a great interactive platform, um, the the value that Apple provides is the platform, right? Sure. Um, Where they're looking for companies like Snap to continue to innovate and drive usage of it. Um, So I don't know that compliments is going to be a a huge risk to them, but... You know, that doesn't mean it, it's not existing. And if, you know, Google and or Apple could figure out a way to take over that user base, by all means, they definitely would. Um, so what, what are your thoughts overall relative to Porter's 5? I mean, I feel like they're in a very competitive market with a lot, with a lot of uh, other companies with deep pockets. So and obviously the market is, while the advertising market is growing, the uh, Facebook has probably reached most of the users within within the, let's say, uh, the market within North America. And so the users that the, that companies like Snap are trying to acquire are likely on these other platforms as well. And so overall, I feel like uh, they're not in a super uh, great place to be because uh, because of the fact that this market is uh, it has all of these different factors that we talked about. Yeah, I completely agree. I think they are in a weaker position. Um, with that said, it's kind of transitions nicely into then, would you invest and how would you grow it? Um, so would you invest, uh, I mean, that's where you really have to consider your analysis of Porter's five forces and based off of all the ratios that we talked about, the current ratio and declining cash position, um, the margin issues of 18% versus, uh, Twitter at 65 and, and Facebook at 85%. Um, and then just some of the concerns relative to the user base. I, I don't know that this is the time that I would, uh, I would be willing to, to dedicate a lot of capital to to Snap. However, with that said, um, I do think that they they do have hope, um, and I actually see a lot of potential within them. And the reason why is they have a younger CEO that, even though in some instances he's not going to listen um, to data and what data is saying, I, I kind of I, I respect the direction and the purity that he's taking with the organization, and I think that from an overarching what what would be refreshing in social media, which company has the biggest opportunity to deliver that. Um, I think maybe that it's going to be coming from a company like Twitter or like Snap, not necessarily um, Facebook. So I do think that there is still a silver lining that you can derive from them. I, I just wouldn't choose to invest in them at this point.
Yeah, I agreed. I mean, and that's the same decision I sort of got to. I mean, and, and my reasons were mainly going back to the point you made, like the executive team, like do, do they have a strategy in place? Are they listening to what the market is telling them? And in the past, the answer would have been no. But based on some new, recent news reports that are coming out, uh, they seem to be making some uh, efforts to not only encourage communication within the firm, but also listen to that market feedback. And so having said that, I feel like uh, as long as the CEO and the co-founder have that voting power, nothing significant in terms of their strategy is going to change. And so that uh, that uh, uh, puts up a red flag for me. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I wouldn't invest. If you're trying to buy the stock, wait for the stock to go up and then sell it, this isn't a company uh, which would be able to do that. So if you invest in it, just make sure to, to keep your money invested and uh, hope for the best is what I'm saying. So how would you grow? The way I would grow it is by going back to the executive team. I would see what kind of a strategy they have. And my guess is that right now what they're trying to do is grow organically. And instead of, uh, instead of that, what I feel they should focus on is considering that their main user base is in North America and considering that that user base is shrinking. And, and also looking at the fact that Companies like Twitter, we're going to get into this in the, in the Twitter podcast, but companies like Twitter are continuing to grow overseas. I feel like one of the key areas of focus needs to be on acquisitions in developed and growing markets overseas, because I feel like that's one area where these uh, users in those markets might not be as familiar with, with Snap's application. And so the way that they would get into those markets, uh, would like countries like India, for example, uh, would be... Uh, most likely by acquiring companies that are already in that space. So that's one way in which I could uh, grow them. And then real quickly, the other way in which I would potentially grow this business is by maybe building in some uh, uh, features in the app that would have some uh, localized preferences. And so uh, that could potentially also make these products tougher to replicate across different geos and such. But uh, primarily, I think they just need to focus on where they see the future growth, have a strategy to uh, achieve that uh, growth by whatever means possible. Yeah, uh, I agree uh, with everything you said. The thing that I would focus in on if I was Evan is bringing Snap back to the pure social company that it is. And it was originally created based off of an intimacy, a friendship that no other platform could provide. By having disappearing messages, they weren't going to be held over your head. Um, It was cool. It was new. It was the thing. Uh, They have to get back to that core young user base and develop the next it thing. That's what brought them there, and they have to continue to deliver. It's the hardest thing in the world to keep innovating, and the companies that are great, like Amazon and Apple, continue to do it. And this is Snap's challenge, and it's particularly hard when they this innovation, they can't protect their profits against companies like Facebook who fast follow them. So they have to figure out how to combine their core competencies in a way that aren't easily reproducible. So how can they do that? I think they can expand into areas like hardware that where their offering becomes more of a social statement. Uh, I think they, of all the social media companies, they're the ones who can bridge hardware and social together and then building on augmented reality, maybe in spectacles. Mm -hmm. And then utilizing augmented reality as well as their designer preferences within spectacles and growing that space. Uh, So for me, it would be how to drive those strategies in parallel in couple with what you're talking about with international expansion to make sure that you're creating a larger user base going forward. Absolutely. 
All right, so with that said, closing remarks, we, we just hit them on invest and grow. Uh, you know, we're, we're happy to be here. This, Like I said, this is our introductory social media series, and so you'll be hearing more from us in the future. So with that said, uh, next pod, I'm going to try not to lead with Dungeons and Dragons, World of, <laughs> World Warcraft. of Warcraft. World of Warcraft. Maybe I'll show that I'm less of a dork in, in that capacity, or maybe I'll show that I'm more of one. I don't know. But we'll see there. Anything you'd like to throw on top? No, I mean, uh, just looking forward to uh, yeah talking about these companies. I mean, it's an exciting uh, field to be in. It's an exciting time considering uh, we've got all these users, uh, young users entering the market and all the, all the innovation going on. So, yeah, it's been a great experience so far talking about these companies yeah and we'll keep it coming hopefully uh delivering value for all of you any feedback hit us on email facebook instagram via the website what have you um snap if you snap, want yep. to um, and so we'll be out there all right thanks everyone appreciate Ouch. it bye